Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. This episode, we discuss Halloween Resurrection. Sebastian and I am here with Matt. Thank you for having me back, even if it's for this. <laughs> well, uh, we got together a year ago to discuss Halloween Part Six, The Curse of Michael Myers. And um, the great thing about the Halloween franchise is you can always talk about it around Halloween, obviously, yes. which is coming up. And there's a lot of the movies that have been disappointing to the point where they've had to pivot entirely into new directions. And the movie that we're covering this episode, Halloween Resurrection, is one of those pivot point films. Yes. Now, we've both talked at length about our fandom of the Halloween franchise. We are both fans. It's our franchise. It's our franchise. It's my favorite slasher franchise. It's your favorite slasher franchise. So it only seems right that you and I would discuss this together. But before we get into the resurrection, how's the Mighty Peculiar doing? It's doing great. We're weekly. We uh, I don't think last time I was on, I don't remember if we'd had the audio podcast yet uh, version. Um, so it's still on YouTube. You can watch it. But we do now have the same show Um comes out on all your favorite podcast platforms usually on wednesdays uh 
Just recently, we did an episode on the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, which was uh, mm. a whole um, story about mass hysteria and people thinking that there was someone gassing them when there really wasn't. It's a really fun one. It's a weird town. We actually also did this uh, story about a place called Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, which was home to a, a UFO story that is both weirdly embraced and rejected by the town. They have the statue of the uh, UFO. It looks like an acorn. Mm -hmm. They call it the space acorn. And one of my favorite little facts about it was to find out that uh, I was like, okay, so the town must love this story because they built this stupid statue and they like put it in this prominent place. No. So it was a prop from Unsolved Mysteries that Unsolved Mysteries created for them when they did their season three premiere and they filmed on location and then they didn't take it back with them (laughs) when they left town. So the town just was like, well. All right, we'll use it. The last two weeks of October, you know, so um, we're going to be doing uh, a two-part Satanic Panic. Oh, nice. So the first one is going to kind of be kind of like uh, 60s swinging Satan, like, you know, when Satan was like kind of cool and like hip. Um, And that'll go through like to about 1980. Our stopping point is when the... um, when one of the major uh, f- former Satanists unveiled who the Antichrist was, uh, Jimmy Carter. The world's nicest Antichrist. <laughs> I, seriously, I was like, the Antichrist is Jimmy Carter. This sounds politically motivated. This guy also says that everyone that worked on Star Wars, the original, were confirmed witches. Uh-huh. So he's a good guy. Um, and then the second part will be kind of more the satanic panic that everyone knows, the popular one, which is the Dungeons and Dragons, heavy metal, all that stuff. So we're going to go through that stuff, um, which is going to be really, really fun. So that's the mighty peculiar. Now, if you don't mind me uh, doing a second plug. Be- go ahead. I went from zero to two shows in like record time. I have a second show called Ed and Matt on Campus. This is um, more a social experiment uh so my friend eddie who hosts a show called the bloody bits horror show it's a horror movie podcast and i watch the movie dead man on campus once a week and we convene to talk about it wow and we're doing it for an entire freshman school year so basically right now we are you know in the early days of it we just earlier today as of we're recording this we recorded um our sixth episode i think it's about dead man on campus kind of to just quickly give you a little background, I was on um, his show, The Bloody Bits. Like, this was like three years ago. Um, and I was on an episode covering Idle Hands. At the time in that show, he did the, the wrap-up segment with something called Perfect Pairing, where it was basically like, what would you pair this movie with? Whether it's like another movie or was it like a meal was it a book um actually i was i did halloween four on that show and my perfect pairing for halloween four was this old radio show called the hall of fantasy this one story so that was kind of the premise and so we did idle hands and he tries to do his perfect pairing first and of course i jumped in and talked first and and i said oh you got to watch idle hands with dead man on campus and he was just like son of a bitch because that was his and that was like like live in that moment you could still hear the episode it's like the first time that I've ever met someone who likes that movie other than people I've subjected it to. But like, this is like in the wild, the first time I've ever found someone that also likes dead man on campus. So it's just been an idea kicking around. We were just, we we're going to cover it. And then he reached out to me and he, he initially suggested we do like a 
Dead Man on Campus by the Minute podcast, and I don't, I can't wrap my head around those. You, you know, people do those where they literally talk about one minute. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like that's weird. So we settled on like once a week for a school year, and we're allowing ourselves like holiday breaks where we can like maybe do another college movie or some, you know, something like that. Or like I, I, I keep pushing him uh i don't know if he'll agree to this but since tom everett scott is the co-star of dead man on campus i'm trying to get to do a special halloween episode recover an american werewolf in paris because i don't hate myself enough Uh so anyways that's called ed and matt on campus truth be told like it's a lot of fun like if you don't like the movie if you've never seen the movie you could just listen and just listen to two people like come up with just nonsense about the movie, I mean, like, we've got this whole theory that, like, the Mark Paul Gossler character doesn't exist and this is a fight club situation. <laughs> In the episode we just recorded, we, like, pitched origin stories for, like, the Lachlan Monroe character, Cliff, the the wild frat guy. Like, how, how did he get there? You know, it's so it's a lot of fun. So Ed and Matt on campus once a week. Um, and we've got some guests. We've, we've had a couple people come on. And I... I don't be surprised, Sebastian, if I ask you at some point. I, am, to, uh, I may give it a whirl. I, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'd be down. But, you know, we're not here to talk about Dead Man on Campus today. We are here to talk about Halloween Resurrection, directed by... Rick Rosenthal. That's right. Returning champ, or veteran or whatever yeah returning (laughs) veteran from halloween 2 the uh, first halloween 2 in 1981 and and the masterpiece birds 2 land's end oh wow i forgot he directed that wow (laughs) now just really quickly um how do you feel about halloween 2 his halloween 2 so this is one of those things where initially it was like you know for me it was like okay one and two are like the the good ones. Yeah. Unfortunately, I find Halloween two to be like diminishing in my opinion over the years. Like I still watch it like, you know, pretty much at least once every year. But instead of like my appreciation growing for it, like it's becoming more controversial to me. Actually, and mainly it's because I think with the 2018 and that trilogy doing away with the sibling connection mm-hmm. between Laurie and Michael, which I'm 100% on board for. Like, I much prefer they're not related. I don't want that story. So now that, like, I have those, Halloween 2 being the one that introduces that element becomes extra, like, problematic for me. Yeah. But I, I do think it has some of the best atmosphere though like yeah. of the halloween series so it's kind of weird as it diminishes in um my appreciation of it story-wise or what little story there is i still do like looking at the movie i pretty much agree with everything you're saying you know the, as far as the jamie is michael's sister thing goes i, I don't really come down on either side of that argument too hard it's like if you want to get rid of it get rid of it if you want to have it in there i don't care it's fine yeah i loved halloween 2 
as a kid, you know, I would watch them back to back because they would often be played on television back to back. And in my mind, they went together perfectly. I remember thinking that they lined up so perfectly, like in my head, like they sold it so well as like just the continuation that it's not until like, you know, getting older, you're like, why does everything look so different? (laughs) What's going on with that wig Jamie Lee Curtis is wearing? Right. But I do really like Michael in that movie played by the great Dick Warlock. The mask looks great. I enjoy a lot of the sequences as a early 80s slasher movie, which Mm. is a sub genre that I really enjoy. I like it a lot. Yes. But in comparison to the original, it can't hold a candle to it. And looking at it with the lens of the franchise as a whole, it's pretty strong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are a lot of flaws there. I mean, I always talk about the scene where the security guard goes in the basement. Like, that scene oh. goes on forever. Yeah. So, that was 81, right? Yes. When was Friday 13th Part 2? Do you remember? That was was it around the same time. 81. Because it's always bothered me that they have, like, almost a very similar scene. Yes, exactly. With the cop and the same kill. And it's like... Yeah, with a, he ends up with the hammer. hammer in the head. Yes. The back of it. And it's like... It, it's one of those weird things where it's like, I don't think they actually... One was copying the other that specifically. That's just always been one of those, like, things that sticks out to me that I'm like, who... It's funny you bring that up because what Jennifer and I are doing this year, we watch all the Halloween movies every year, but this year there's a Friday the 13th in the month of October. Right. So what yes. we're doing is watching one and one, two and two. We're doing okay, Halloween and Friday the 13th back to back. And we watched Halloween 2 and Friday the 13th 2 back to back. And I was like, this is the same friggin' scene. And I had never noticed that before. It's always kind of stuck out to me that like, it, it's almost like you just have to just change the setting and like otherwise it's the same the cop even's kind of similar yeah. like it's that friday 13 part two is the one directed by steve one of the ones directed by steve minor who yes. would go on to direct h2o and you know during the press tour for h2o he would always say like oh we were just ripping off halloween left and right on friday the 13th but like i've always kind of wondered like just who filmed first? Well, I mean, at a certain point, the franchises start to feed off of each other. Once you get to Halloween 4, it basically right. becomes a Friday the 13th movie. And that's kind of the thing about Halloween 2, anyways. Why it doesn't even really match is because so many years had passed, it needed to be gore. Yeah. Or gorier and stuff. It's also one another thing I've noticed, which I don't know how I didn't notice before, but both the series have a trilogy at four, five, and six, where this side character becomes an important character. In Halloween, yep. it's Jamie Lloyd. Friday the 13th, it's Tommy Jarvis. And yep. it's like four, five, and six become like their story for some reason. Yep. You know, the other thing that kind of complicates when I think about Rick Rosenthal, especially in Halloween 2, is I think the history has gotten a little obscured as to like, how much did John Carpenter come in and shoot extra? Basically, both have taken credit for certain, like, specific scenes, and it's like... And then there are times where Rosenthal says, well, I didn't shoot that, Carpenter did, but then Carpenter denies that he shot it. So it's like there's also that weirdness there that it's like... Because initially, I wanted to make Rick Rosenthal kind of the villain in my way of, like, how the the franchise went off the rails early. Because I was thinking, okay, he's the guy that's coming in and adding all the gore and, like, 
yeah, you know, whatever. And then it turns out that that was Carpenter. Yeah, that wasn't him. That Carpenter came in and did the reshoots were like gore shoots. And he because Carpenter was thinking businessman style, yep. like he's not precious about any of it. So he's like, no, we got to compete. Whereas Rosenthal was the one who was like, let's keep this more just suspenseful. So it's a complicated relationship that I have with Rick Rosenthal. Well, before we get into Halloween Resurrection, um, because this jumps off of Halloween H2O so clearly, I wanted Mm -hmm. to just quickly get your thoughts on that film. The return of Jamie Lee Curtis to the franchise in 1998. It was uh, written by um, Kevin Williamson, so it was definitely kind of piggybacking off the scream thing and i think most people especially at the time considered that something of a return to form yeah how did you feel about it so at the time when i saw h2o in the theater i was like that's that was good that was a solid you know yeah return to form it was kind of the body count was pretty low like in and i mean that as a good good thing for you know like the idea of like kind of simplifying Michael and, and all that stuff. And and again, this is before I realized that like uh, jettisoning the whole like sibling relationship was even uh, an option. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm okay with it here. But at the same time, it's a really slight movie. Yeah. And that's another one where I feel like over the years, like what positive feelings I've had for it kind of diminished a lot because for the return to form, it's like, okay, I understand getting out of Haddonfield, but at the same time, it's like, is that really the return to form you want? Like to really go like to California and like, but what I will say is if the ending stuck, the, 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 the triumphant, like decapitation of Michael, I think I could walk away from that going, okay, that was solid. That was satisfying. Now it just feels like the pilot for like a, a a TV show or it feels so like, low state i don't know yeah so yeah not not the biggest fan but uh definitely liked the ending enough at the time yeah we're on the exact same page here with that it's one of those movies that when it came out i didn't see it in the theater i ended up catching it on home video and i was like oh yeah that was good and over the years i've been able to appreciate it but it's definitely not one of my favorites I mean, I think just in terms of what it's setting out to do, it's successful. Mm -hmm. You know, Michael's look in it bothers me, but that's true for most of the movies. We talked about this last year where it's like, how is it that the stumbling block? Yeah. More than not in this series is the mask. Like, how, how do you not make sure you got that locked before you even start rolling cameras right and in that movie it's really kind of egregious i mean in that movie they intentionally make the decision so that you can see his eyes which they're clearly doing for dramatic purposes because it's really supposed to be about this connection between jamie and michael and everything but i just hate that look on him yeah and you know they didn't get the mask right at first, so there's these weird shots where it's like CG and looks terrible. Oh, those CG ones. I mean, what was it? I think there's no shortage of seven different masks. Wow. Yeah. Some of them are just like slight variations, so probably ultimately unnoticeable. But some are just like, they're so different that it's it's baffling that like, again, and this wasn't a situation where like, oh man, we're such a low budget movie that we just got to get cameras rolling yeah. and we're going to figure this. It's like... They had more resources for that one than they'd ever had in the franchise <laughs> history at that point. And and again, a director that has done this stuff before, 
you know, Kevin Williamson, I think he ended up with like story credit and uh, like an executive producer credit, but Mm -hmm. like the screenplay was handled by a couple other people, but they were doing their best Kevin Williamson impression. Yeah, it has the vibe of Kevin Williamson. And I believe he did on the set rewrites. So like, you know, it's one of those situations where you can tell that it was a couple different hands, but like you can also tell that like be scream and return the franchise to form was like the marching orders. I will say um, I kind of found it completely unnecessary in that one that they got rid of the, any reference to four, five, and six. Yeah. I mean, I understand six don't go with that like mythology, but like there's no reason, especially when you're removing it from Haddonfield. Like, why not just have those movies still have happened? I could be wrong, but I believe originally there was mention of there was like Jamie Lloyd and they yep. cut it out of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I guess you do get into that potential weirdness that like. If Jamie, if Carrie Tate in that movie knows that she has a daughter. Makes her a terrible person. (laughs) It does. And I had a a printed version of a very early draft of that script when it was called The Revenge of Laurie Strode. What is now in the movie, like the credit sequence where there's kind of like the narration, a little bit of narration and like the evidence board or whatever. It was actually um, a presentation in a class. Like a, a student was like recounting the Haddonfield murders and kind of did the rough gloss over of the ones. It was okay. It was a good final chapter if that's what it was supposed to be. And what becomes more interesting is like how deceptive they were about whether it was the final one or not. Like mm-hmm. and and how it divided camps because it was like Steve Miner, the director, was like, This is it. Like you can't come back from this. But you can. And not only that, like, they filmed the shape in, like, the paramedics uniform two days after filming Wrapped on H2O. A skeleton crew, Steve Miner didn't, like, a skeleton crew went back to the, the, the set, and the shot that you see in the beginning of Resurrection where he's walking with the paramedics uniform yeah. was shot with the same basic crew of H2O. They knew at that moment. And it's Kevin Williamson who gave them the loophole. Which made me kind of hate Kevin Williamson a little bit, despite the fact that I really like him. I'm sure this was a mandate from Mustafa Akkad. 100%. Who said, I will never kill Michael Myers permanently, right. ever. So I'm sure that's what that was. It, it was. There was something in his, cl- the, some clause in the contract where it was like, basically H2O couldn't happen without that like loophole left in there. Well, let's talk about how that loophole plays out in 2002's Halloween Resurrection. Now, look, I'm just going to lay my cards on the table because I've already said this, I believe, on other podcasts. So, you know, we'll take the suspense out of this conversation, just like this movie takes the suspense out of this (laughs) franchise. And that is, this is my least favorite, not only Halloween movie... But it is my least favorite slasher sequel of the big three. Okay. Yeah, it may be my least favorite sequel to any horror series. But, you know, I haven't really investigated every Amityville, you know. Oh, yeah. I don't think those can even count at a certain point. Like, I'm talking about the ones that matter and yeah. this movie is and always has been my least favorite of 
either the Halloween, Friday the 13th, or Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Yeah. We'll get into the reasons for that. But I will say up front, the first, whatever, 16 minutes of this movie where we're dealing with Laurie Strode is now in a psychiatric ward. She hasn't spoken in years. She thought she cut off Michael Myers' head at the end of H2O, but Michael had crushed the larynx of a (laughs) medical professional and put them in the mask and costume, and Laurie actually killed him. How do you feel about this basic setup? I hate it. (laughs) I guess, again, just from the practical side that, like, if you had to do something... I mean, it's, I guess it's not the worst. It does the job that it needs to, but like, there's no way that it was going to make me happy because if it had been like a dream or like if it had been something where like they, you know, played with the way H2 ended. So I don't know what, you know, one of those, again, like the who shot JR kind of thing, right? Where, oh no, that's not how it happened. Like that would have made me mad too, but it just seemed particularly like disrespectful yeah very like and that's the thing right like for the people that criticize like how laurie's portrayed in the most recent movies as like especially in 2018 the 2018 one where she's like this you know shut-in recluse that is like a bunker mentality saying that like hey at least in h2o she you know yeah maybe she had an alcohol she was an alcoholic it was they kind of hinted at but like it was she was you know had a good job she was functioning the way 2018 handled her was way more respectful i'd rather like you know than like this idea that like she's now going to murder someone like an innocent person even accidentally like it's just so you knew it took a contractual obligation to get jamie lee curtis back right because she had to just be pissed to go from this triumphant ending you know because i okay like i said i saw h2o in the theater and like it was a it was opening night. It was a full theater. And that axe swipe and that head like flying was like an audience cheers moment. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So to just undo that so like ridiculously, I know the Halloween movies always play with, is he human? Is he not? Like, seriously, I'd almost wonder if it would just been better if they like gone with like someone reattached his, you know, head. Like, I <laughs> almost feel like I, as dumb as that is, it's like, at least it wouldn't undo that like moment of triumph. Well, there was a lot of things they could have done. They could have sidestepped Lori altogether and just had Michael reappear somewhere else or whatever. I mean, he's not really in Haddonfield at the end of H2O, right? No, they're in California. California. So are are we even back in Haddonfield here in this? I don't know where the sanitarium is supposed to be. Oh, you know what? No, I know it's definitely not Illinois, because in a scripted moment, and there's one element of this in the movie, um, when uh, I think Tyre Banks or Busta Rhymes' character says there's like a firebird that's blocking the shot, mm-hmm. like there's a car. That was a whole plot where um, Michael steals that from like people camping. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, he drives away. So he drives cross country in a firebird. I wonder if he stopped for gas. That's a movie I want to see. The Michael Myers road trip. Right, road tripping <laughs> with Michael. There was a scene as scripted where he finally pulls up to his, he parks the Firebird right outside of his house Uh (laughs) and he gets out and it's like this first moment where he's like home and, you know, and it's like music is supposed to swell in the script and then like it goes silent and then you hear him go beep, beep, 
like he uses like a key fob <laughs> to lock it and that's where the scene ends and i'm like wow okay at least they didn't do that like <laughs> like <laughs> at the very least but um as much as i love seeing jamie lee curtis anytime she appears like i feel like i would probably like this movie more if that beginning wasn't there the problem with that for me is this beginning, as much as I don't like it conceptually at all, is the only part of the movie that I feel like actually is a movie. The, yes. The rest of this movie just like really badly chases Blair Witch trends and whatnot. Yeah. But like, I mean, before we get into that, let's just kind of talk about a little bit some of the features going on here. I mean, we have this like character in a clown mask who is a patient at the sanitarium and he's obsessed with serial killers of course when he sees michael you know he starts listing off all the kills or whatever that is like such a writer trick just have captain exposition show up and just set the stage yeah and i mean the writing in this movie is abysmal and i'll we'll get into it more later because there's a certain thing that the all the characters do that drive me up the wall but like yeah we're getting that here i mean the nurses of course lay out the whole situation oh you haven't heard yeah (laughs) that kind of really clunky yeah fill in the blanks we're catching you up to speed here kind of uh, exposition and let's talk a little bit about the michael in this he was played by a stuntman named brad Faree. now the mask in this is better than it has yeah. been in previous installments but it's still got i don't know too much personality he looks kind of angry which i don't like yeah he kind of looks like ray liotta or something to me and he does actually yeah while part four has a terrible mask like i always give them credit for the fact that like they put it in story that this was never that was never meant to be right the original mask every other movie doesn't deal with that well of, of the initial series so like Again, it's it's another one of those things where it's like it's 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 very fun to try and like piece together like so in this case what we're expecting what we're expected to believe is Michael went out and found another one of these masks in his downtime. <laughs> yeah. Because he he put it on the EMT that got decapitated. Right. And unless he like went and then stole the evidence. So I do like the idea that like this guy just keeps like going like, well, I can't do it yet. Like I need to find my mask. Right. Like I got to find one. <laughs> and then he's got to wait for like Halloween, which is like then the reason in my head that he's always got to wait to Halloween. Cause the stores aren't selling these things until then, you know, <laughs> like that's what I'm doing while I'm trying to watch this movie is I'm like, well, what's he been up to? How's he, how do you find that mask and more coveralls? Like this is great. Right. Like, he got rid of all of that stuff. And yeah, this one, it's just basically, I mean, in the bar is so low, but like, Basically, one, two, and then this one is like kind of the the hierarchy of the masks, in my opinion, you know, of this initial series. Because while I appreciate four not even trying to say it was, it's still a terrible mask. Yeah. Five was like the weird flared out neck and the hair. And then six was just awful. Like I I used to think I loved six's mask. And then when seeing it again, I was like, like the nose looked like a nose job. Like Uh it was like... (laughs) So props that they, yeah, they, they did something okay, like, uh, here, but it's still, 
Yeah, it's too much emotion. I think that's, you nailed it. Like, it's not blank enough. It just looks a little too well designed, too intentional. You know what I mean? I think it would be the word I would use. Like, they've clearly made his face look a certain way. His hair is, like, intentionally messy, spiky looking. It doesn't have that just, like, weirdness of the original, where his hair was like, what's going, it just was a mess. And, And the mask itself was kind of like puckered in areas, you know, I mean, I do feel that Rob Zombie does a better job, not so much capturing the original mask, but I do like the look of the mask in the zombie movies. It's scary again. It's better than this one, but yeah, I would say up until this point, this is the best mask. Yeah. I do feel that Michael becomes way too superhuman in this movie. I mean, he's yeah. just, he's literally like bursting through doors and yep. all sorts of stuff. I mean, he kills a couple of security guards in the basement. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you're lingering on this because this part I forgot about. It drove me up a wall. Like maybe the one real cool shot of H2O was him lowering himself one handed down behind. And then they decide that's like a signature move or something and he's going to do it again here. And they like, do it in the beginning yeah like dude rick rosenthal have some self-respect man like i don't care if it was scripted we don't you don't do it again because that part was in all the trailers of h2o yeah I, like what was the thought process here was it like oh they're gonna love it yes that's exactly what the thought process was which i know they're like we're gonna do it again remember how much you loved it when he lowered himself down from a ceiling i mean at right. least here it kind of makes sense because they're in a basement so he's got some pipes to hang on yeah to or whatever but you lose the you lose the uh, like the at all the weight of the fact that like you care about who is about to be attacked. In H2O, what felt like kind of the the 90s version of like the kind of silent, like fluid motion killer now just became like, oh, okay. So now this is a guy that's like looking around going like, oh, hey, pipes. Right. I I can do my move. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, these two security guard characters, who gives a shit about them? They're just kills to start the movie. And And I think their names, at least in the script, I can't remember, were like ridiculous um, callbacks to something. In the sanitarium, you hear them like calling for like Dr. Howard and Dr. Fine. I'm like, they're three stooges jokes, like over the intercom. Like, really? Like, if your subtle background joke is also undermining that this is a scary movie, then you are, like, just wrong. Like, you're just doing the whole thing wrong. So, we talked about how, like, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, was contractually obligated to come back for... It was a 30-second cameo. They did negotiate, and, and she agreed, basically, like, to do more on the grounds that, like, she gets killed off. Yeah. Because she's like, I'm done. But she did have, like, some ideas about, like, the scene... She suggested that all the the patients should have like elaborate makeup and Marilyn Monroe esque hairstyles because next to the sanitarium was a beauty school <laughs> and they used the patients as practice. Oh, wow, well, that would have been something. <laughs> Initially, I'm like, man, that's really dumb. But then I'm like, I guess at the very least, like it's an idea, right? Yeah. 
Well, let's just quickly talk about her death on the rooftop. Lori lures Michael up to the rooftop where she set up a like snare trap for him. Which is weird. Was she sneaking out to do this? Like, I mean, when did she one set this One would up? assume, yes. Okay. One would assume she's been planning this. I mean, she hasn't been taking her medication. She's stuffing it in the Raggedy Andy doll. I mean, look, nothing in this movie really makes sense. So, like, no. I'm not going to get too hung up on this element. No, and again, yeah. I'm glad that she has agency here. Right. That, like, it's a ruse, and, like, but, it, again, did it have to be in, like, a, a sanitarium, then? Like, like you didn't need to put her here. As dumb as this sounds, and this is overthinking it, I get it, but, like, who's really faulting her for that murder? Right. And since she's not really crazy, I understand that there would be legal repercussions, and I understand that there would be, like, probably civil, you know, lawsuits, but, like, she gets the, yes, the vigilante, like, stealing the, you know, the ambulance and stuff. But, like, I find it hard to believe that anyone's going to sit there and go, like, yeah, she totally murdered this innocent person, like, clearly intending to do it. Like, I just don't buy that. So Yeah, I feel like it's more there so that they can show let Lori feels horrible guilt over accidentally killing this guy. I mean, this is the the way they've decided to handle the fact that... You know, they're not going to end the series at H2O and they're going to have a sequel and they put their little loophole in that, that she accidentally killed somebody else filming a scenes in what appears to be a sanitarium in Canada somewhere is probably not super expensive. It's probably it's budget true. conscious. And they had her for a couple of days. So yeah, they probably need to just make sure they've got a very controlled environment. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously now I'm going outside the movie to sort of explain why I think they went in this direction. And let me be clear. I don't like any of this. So like, right, yeah, yeah. I'm not interested in defending it, but I'm just saying, I see what they're doing. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of that stuff where, like, choices had to be made. I just want to know why it's these choices. <laughs> I think it's because, yeah, you have a controlled environment. Sanitariums are scary. Yep. Rick Rosenthal already did his hospital Halloween. Right. So now we're kind That's of true. back in a similar setting. It all is bad, but I get why they went in this direction, given the setup that they had to use. And I guess we do need to mention the amazing cameo of a stock photo of Josh Hartnett from H2O. With that horrible hair. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I'm like, that's the photo she had? Really? His school photo? But what frustrates me about this scene is, we, okay, so she snares him, he's hanging upside down on the roof, and then... The way they justify her doing something incredibly stupid, which is approaching him to make sure that he's really Michael, is that he apparently is smart enough to know that when the paramedic yes. was killed, he gestured in a certain way. So he's he gonna... tried to claw at the mask. Like... So presumably Michael was off camera somewhere watching that happen, I guess. Right. And so he does the same thing. I don't know, intentionally or not intentionally. To psych her out. To psych her out. And so she's going to approach him and try to pull off the mask. And of course... That's her downfall, literally. He grabs her. They both hang off of the building. She kisses the mask. Which I can only imagine is just to nod towards that like kind of infamous like set photo from, is it, I think, the first one where it's she's just kissing, you know. But again, 
That's before they were brother and sister. That's like the Star Wars, like, flirtation with, like, Luke and Leia right. prior to. this. Now it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I do like, just if I'm going to be generous, I do kind of like the shot of her falling into the canopy of trees from above. Yeah, it works, I guess. It's another one of those moments, though, where you're just going to go like, okay, thank you for the mini movie. Yeah. At the start of my actual movie. I mean, it's almost like a James Bond pre-credits scene. I mean, you might as well have cut to like Evil Never Dies, the theme song to the, you know, or whatever. And like elaborate title sequence because it's like, cool, we did it. Now, the one thing, and this is a very random like little thing. I do like the uh, the, the knife handoff. To the John Wayne Gacy uh, fan. <laughs> yeah, to the serial killer super fan, right? Yeah. To me, like, I see that as, like, you know, Michael's assuming his work is done. Yeah. He doesn't need this knife anymore. Which does not set up our rest of our movie very well at all. It doesn't set up our rest of our movie well. Although, like, again, if you're just tracking the, like, kill the bloodline, like, yada, you know, whatever kind of type story. I was like, that's kind of a nice, you know, little moment. Although it turns out that wasn't, like, the intention whatsoever of the filmmakers. Apparently it was to, like throw suspicion on him and i'm like why would michael care right (laughs) (laughs) you're planting evidence like to why and that's another one of those moments you go oh they didn't ever understand what they were doing i understand if you're like doing a serial killer movie and the serial killer doesn't want to get caught you might want to try and deflect blame that's not michael michael does not give a shit about that no dude steals cars and just walks around like all the time like he it was just one of those moments where i'm like even the part that i was like ah that's kind of a nice little touch like it's the baton handoff it's the passing of the no no my work here is done you know right you carry on now yeah like although it was gonna be weird though is um apparently as scripted when michael hands off the mat uh, the the knife when he returns, uh, that that patient was supposed to be wearing a Laurie Strode mask. How would that work? Who did that? <laughs> and how would he get it? Yeah. So anyways, like, again, you just, it's full of weird choices. And even like the ones that like they didn't make, they, they cut or whatever, are still just like, wow, you just didn't have it at all, guys. Well, and unfortunately, in my opinion, it's only going to get worse because now we're going to get into our main central premise. So we now, I guess, cut to a year later. We are in some college that is near Haddonfield or in Haddonfield. It's Haddonfield University. Like, it literally says it. And I'm like, how really? How big is Haddonfield? It has a university? And um, here we are going to be introduced to our new final girl, who is a deeply uncharismatic actress. I'm sorry. Bland. Yeah, I don't mean to be cruel to this actress. She's fine i guess but i yeah she is one of the most uncharismatic final girls in the entire franchise and that's saying something because there's some pretty uncharismatic final yes, girls. tina well tina's over the top i don't i don't she i don't know if she even counts as final girl really but man ah! Ah! she's just insane but you know what yeah this is another thing about the halloween movies though is like while there's been some not great ones, obviously, Lori is like a high watermark. I really like Rachel from part four. To me, I think she's underrated. 
you know, as like a resourceful final girl that had some character to her, you know, this she Sarah is just like a the most blank slate ever. And it doesn't help that later in the movie, she is described as like the one with all the star potential. Nothing could be further from the truth. Well, and she's paired with Katie Sackhoff yeah. as Jennifer Danzig. That's the character's oh, last God. name. I didn't catch that last name. I yeah. didn't catch it either. I just saw it on Wikipedia. But like Katie Sackhoff is going to go on to be a actor of note, especially on TV. Um, yep. Battlestar Galactica. She's Starbuck. She was one of the first people thrown into the angry nerd fire of right. like gender swapped like casting and stuff like that as Starbuck. Starbuck's a chick. I worked in a comic book store when that happened. And oh, my God, like the lead up to that was awful wow. with like guys that have not cared about Battlestar Galactica since it was first on TV, suddenly all angry about it, but she shut them up. Like I, I didn't, once the, you know, show started and like people saw it, it was like, Oh, I didn't hear too many, uh, too many complaints at that point. So like that takes some talent to get over the angry nerd hump, I guess. Unfortunately in this movie, I mean, she's one of the better performers here, Yeah, but her character, you know, none of these characters, they have a characteristic and they're going to repeat it in the dialogue constantly, yep. which is the thing that drives me up a wall. Like, I mean, I hate all of these characters for yes. one, right? But what yep. makes them even worse is all the screenwriter could think to do was to have them have one thing that they're into that they keep right. bringing up over and over and over. We're going to get Sean Patrick Thomas as this character, Rudy, who's good friends with Sarah and Katie Sackhoff's Jennifer. And he's a chef, I guess. But all yep. he fucking talks about... First of all, all he talks about is nutrition. He's like, why did Michael Myers kill? Well, it's because of his diet. Okay, I just want to say, being a chef and being a nutritionist are not the same fucking things. Right. Like, chefs generally don't give a shit about your nutrition. And nope. this guy won't fucking shut up about it. And right. it's so deeply irritating. I need to ask you about that line the idea that like it was his diet that like drove him mad is that one a joke not delivered as a joke or two is that like a very pale imitation of clever scream like dialogue like i can't tell yes to both the answer is yes to both okay because it seems like it would be true to his character so i don't think he is saying it as a joke so his character isn't but like the audience is supposed to receive it as a joke i think the character is supposed to be serious right but yeah you're supposed to find it funny because you're like it's not michael myers's diet that's making him like this guy's way off with this theory right but like he keeps bringing it up and then there's this other character daisy who's like julian moore right red yeah, hair yeah yeah and she's a psych major, and so she just keeps bringing up, like, Carl Jung and yeah. just these ham-fisted... The camera's very phallic. Phallic. <laughs> like, oh my god, like, this stuff is just bottom-of-the-barrel 
terrible, lazy screenwriting. There's the guy that unfortunately kind of reminded me of Danny Masterson from that 70s show, which made this viewing very fun because I was like, that guy is actually Luke Kirby and he looks like a Jewish Chris Cornell or something. Yeah, he's supposed to be like a rocker. Like he's a music major. Is that what it was? Okay. And he's all like, and I don't know, There's, we all have a killer in us. And I'm like, we all have the shadow side. Okay, so the setup, if you don't know, and if you're listening to this, I'm sure you do. Busta Rhymes and Tyra Banks are these entrepreneurs. Dangertainment. Who have started a reality company television show called Dangertainment. One of the dumbest names ever put in a movie. I do have to crack a smile, though, because our horror trivia group that we played in L.A., one team was called Dangertainment. Look, I'm not saying I wouldn't wear a T-shirt with that logo on it. I'm just saying it's stupid. (laughs) You'd wear it because it's stupid. Oh, 100%. So, you know, this is right when reality TV is really exploding. I mean, obviously, it begins in the 90s, but like 2002, you know, we've got the Osbournes, which they referenced. We're going to be bigger than the Osbournes here. That's the angle here is that we're going to do Halloween as a reality show. And of course... Blair Witch had happened in 99 was the big horror phenomenon of that time so found footage another subgenre I'm not crazy about right even though I like Blair Witch yeah the best of the found footage genre I like but the yeah. rest of it can right. die in a fire like I don't want to look yeah, at it 100% and this movie makes the horrible mistake of giving all these characters cameras and they're gonna wander around the Michael Myers house with cameras attached to them. Yeah. I, one thing that we need to just clarify, cause you even said like, so 2002 is when this movie comes out, it's filmed in 2001. Like I understand reality television being like big, but like what we are not in the heyday of is any kind of live streams. Yes. The internet is not there. I mean, like there are, some usually on college campuses where like ethernet was like the thing you know like yeah. but it's like you we are still crawling out of dial yeah th- at this time so like the idea that like this was going to be they're not just recording a reality show like they are broadcasting it live which you could do now on youtube like i mean you could have actually done this movie later and it would have made sense that's the thing in one respect it's almost ahead of its time now that Ahead of its time doesn't mean good, just means like it was just it jumped the gun a little bit because and I should say Larry Brand, the screenwriter, the the one who's credited with story and then co-screenplay. He had a, a guy came in and rewrote it. But like this was not a Halloween movie when he came up with it, when he was working with Dimension. You know, he saw Big Big Brother and um, the real world were the two things he cited. He had a whole pitch for a movie about one of those shows where a serial killer gets in. Right. And people are watching it, not realizing it's real. So basically they were like, well, why don't we make that a Halloween movie? But that's not what he set out to do. And he has this whole high flute. And like, the, I kind of want to punch this guy every time I listen to him or read interviews. Cause he was a driver for Orson Welles. That was his first uh, job in oh, Hollywood. Wow. So okay. he talks about this is like trying to be his spin on like the war of the world's broadcast where, right. where and it's all like, you're like, oh really man like come on don't do this don't don't do this like but like 
I understand the premise as he pitched it if it was like a not a Halloween movie because Big Brother, real world, they're in like mansions. Yeah. The thing I will never wrap my head around is this is the Myers house. Right. There are like six people. <laughs> this is not a big house. Like no. you can't do this stuff. Well, and the movie comes up with all these ridiculous contrivances to sort of expand what the house is, which right. I really deeply hate. I mean, at one point there's like some sort of sub basement dungeon Dude, that Michael's like, been living in. That's like a catacombs. <laughs> you know, I know I mentioned the satanic panic earlier, but like that feels like straight out of like, did you know in that neighbor, that cul-de-sac, like all the houses are like connected with underground tunnels where they, you know, it's like, that's what that sounds like. Right. But it's supposed to be like, oh, that's where he goes. Right. That's where he's been living. It's like, why did he have this? Who built it? Who built it? Why? Did it connect to other houses? I mean, because it's like almost one of those situations where it's like, if you're going to do it and make it something interesting where it's like, I don't know, somehow it like tapped into like the like, you know, there was a crawl space that like you knock through the wall and it, it actually is like into like a sewer i don't know like this was just like he had a hidey hole with a pillow and a blanket <laughs> and a doll <laughs> the myers house gets repurposed in a bunch of the movies i mean we just watched part five and it's a completely different house oh that's the most egregious not even same color not same no. build much bigger that would make sense for this movie like that house was a victorian like almost mansion it was an yeah. estate at least then you have the room. But, like, as we know the Myers house, it's a suburban home. And, I mean, when they get in there, of course, the cook guy's like, oh, I bet this place has got a great kitchen. Like, of course, he's going to go right to the kitchen. And like, and, like, what about walking in this place would ever make you think <laughs> yeah. that? Like, this place is, like, disgusting. I think I probably jumped over, like, when we were introducing the characters. But, like, I feel like it was worth stating up front that as you meet these characters... They are going to a suburban home and are supposed to explore it. And again, that will take 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> the American Pie dude. That's the other guy. I was like, wait a minute. There's still another person isn't there. Is that the guy that's horny for Katie Sackhoff and sticking his camera down her cleavage whenever he can and yep. following her around? Okay. Yeah, he was in uh, the American Pie movies. He is now a singer-songwriter, and he tours with pop-punk bands. Oh, well, good for him. And he's him. got really curly hair, yeah. Probably my least favorite character in a movie full of characters I hate. He was Rookie of the Year, the baseball movie where he broke his arm and he could do, like, the really fast pitch. I don't know. I have not seen uh, any of these movies, including American Pie. I am ashamed to, ashamed to say, but, you know. If you didn't see it when it came out, it's not worth it. It's not one of those like ones where you're like, oh, you got to see it. Like, I mean, I know about sticking the dick in the pie, Jason. Yeah. What's his name? I mean, that's basically all you need to know. He's the friend. Gotcha. Of Jason Biggs. But arguably, he was probably the biggest name of that cast. So I forgot like that he doesn't last like long at all because... At this point, I think at least American Pie 2 is out. Yeah, well, but we also have Tyra Banks and Busta Rhymes. Yeah. They're bringing some pretty heavy star wattage to it. Ugh. Now, I will say that like, um, when this movie came out, you know, the Busta Rhymes of it all was something that people, especially online, were very vocal about. Um, Trick or treat, motherfucker, is a line nope. in this movie. Um, Busta Rhymes is, you know, the producer of this show, along with Tyra Banks. 
Their relationship is kind of unclear. I think they're boyfriend and girlfriend, but don't really know. Tyra Banks basically spends the whole movie in a garage. Oh, is it the garage? That's right. I believe she's in the garage, basically giving cameramen who are soon to be killed in a very um, peeping Tom-like manner with a, a tripod. But like she just basically makes herself fancy coffees. And then am I wrong that we don't see her die? We don't. Like when I was watching it today was I was like, did I space out when Tyra Banks got killed? We just see her body stuck to the ceiling of the garage later yeah, but that's, that's it that's when rick rosenthal um homages himself right <laughs> with uh slipping on the puddle of blood and landing in it which is what sarah does. yes right from halloween too so they all go to the same school they attend some kind of casting call and these were the best well not only that they attend some sort of casting call but our main character sarah does not want to do it ever right during the whole movie never is she like okay i want to do this katie sackoff's character jen danzig convinces her to do it and then right. later she's going to literally go to like busta rhymes's motel and be like i don't want to do it and he's like no you got to do it because you know you're the one you're the real one yeah in one respect he gets something right there where he goes like they all got their like quirks that they want to show off you're real it's like well Okay, not about that, but like the first part, yeah, they all have their one trait. Yes. And they're going to do it. And you, you got nothing. So we're going to call that authentic. Right. <laughs> but it's like that clumsy, like refusal of the call kind of thing with the lead character. Only in this movie, she just does it over and over and over. Like, yeah. and yet she's along for the whole movie, constantly not wanting to be there. And constantly, you know, wanting to leave. <laughs> right. And it's one thing to have, you know, yeah, the, the resist the call to action or, you know, whatever. If she ended up in the Lori and or like Rachel mold of becoming much more resourceful. But the problem is she barely registers beyond like damsel in distress. Like, because we have not mentioned Deckard. We need to talk about Deckard. So he's a high school freshman who faked being tech support for her yeah for college somehow so he was like hacking in just started like a like a chat friendship yes. so but he is says he is still working at the college and they she's like never met him in person doesn't know he's a high school freshman these characters will never meet on screen. Yes, that's wild. They never meet on screen. Yet he is basically the reason she lives because she's got what is it? Is it, it's not a BlackBerry? I don't even know. Is it like a Zoom? Like she's got like an old like text device where literally like words pop up as they're being typed. It's like yeah, <laughs> which I don't think that's how that worked. Unless it was just displaying one letter at a time. So if it's not him, like watching the live stream and typing to her, it's. Freddie Busta Rhymes coming in to save her. Like without those two, she doesn't actually do much. Right. Which is also then unfortunate. Lori in the first one is basically like a nothing character. Yeah. Until you see how resourceful she becomes. Yeah. 
But Sarah's robbed of that arc, mostly because of Rishi. Well, Lori has that kind of weird sort of psychosexual, virginal, like she's resisting right. kind of entering into adult relationships while her friends are. Right. And, you know, Michael becomes this kind of like almost sexual figure in that right. regard in the first movie when he's not her brother. Right. So there, there's some subtext going on here. But in this, there's no subtext at all. She has a scooter. She does ride a scooter down like what I think is a walkway. Like, who does that? That's her character. She's the girl that has the scooter. They give her nothing. I mean, she doesn't even have like a tragic backstory. You know, I mean, that would be cliche, too. But I mean, at least it'd be something. Right. You don't even know why she's even resisting any of this, honestly. Right. She doesn't want to be famous. That's all she says. So, yeah, she doesn't want to be famous. So there's reward money. For all of them, because obviously this is not an limit until Michael does it, like this is not an elimination contest. This isn't like who can stay the night challenge. Right. So I believe they're all going to get like, it was like some absurd amount of money too. Like it was, which I don't know where the money's coming from. Because again, I don't think he's selling lots of ads, but it's like, she's already at college. So I think, wasn't there like a passing reference of like, you could just pay for the rest of your school. Yes. It's like, okay, so did she have financial problems? She like, no. Yeah. We need to just talk a little bit more about Deckard because one of the other things that annoys me deeply about this movie is not the character of Deckard so much as played by Ryan Merriman, who will later be in a final destination uh, sequel. He looks very familiar, but yeah, I couldn't, but his it. friend, oh, oh God. God, he's got this blonde douchey friend who's just like, what are you doing being online? What? Come on. We got to go to this party. They're freshmen in high school and then they're going to go to this senior party that they managed to get invited to uh, you know they're gonna go as pulp fiction characters and the friend of course is dressed up as being samuel L. jackson he's like white yes and i am so because there was a part of me that got nervous for a second when i started remembering like i was like don't he's not gonna do blackface don't 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 and then thankfully whoo yeah they don't because, I mean, the only thing that would have made him worse was was that. But, yeah, because, again, this is also, you know, the Internet's for losers in 2001, right? right? Like, oh, what are, you, what are you doing talking to a girl on, you know, it's like that's where we're at. Yeah. So, like, the fact that he's, like, this cyber smart hacker kid is not, like, a status thing. He's a loser who's online all the time, even though he's talking to an attractive girl or whatever. Right. You know what it is? It's just like their relationship. It's just people being like snarky and kind of like giving each other a hard time the whole time. Like with all these characters, there's like they pair off the boy girl pairs of characters going off so that they can have sexual tension in different scenes. And one we do actually get sort of a sex scene, but it's like they're just like assholes to each other yeah. the whole yeah. time. Like nobody's just nice to each other no and it's it's just that thing where i just feel like it's so immature writing like yeah we've got to make this pop somehow so all these people right. have to be like you know the guy from american pie is just like sexually harassing katie yeah. Sackoff the whole time we should say she wants to be a journalist or like a news anchor katie Sackoff. okay yeah so this is she she sees this as her big break. And so we're going to get a scene between them where he tries to convince her to take off her top because that's going to make her famous the way she wants to be. That was how Katie Kirk got her job. 
he totally just flashed everyone. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. You want to know how she got the prime gig? <laughs> you know, like what's weird is like they don't play his creepiness. His creepiness is actually more of like it feels more like a serial killer creepy. Like because he's not played off as like particularly like the fun over the top kind of you know the guy you see in these kinds of movies where kind of a prankster kind yeah. of a mischief maker right he's really quiet and like weirdly intense so it's i feel like if michael hadn't come home there's a good chance a couple of these people would have still ended up murdered right <laughs> because i think he would have done it which again could have been a cool premise right like what happens if like the guy was already like planning on like oh this is my moment and then he gets upstaged otherwise he's just this guy that's like yeah, I guess we're, I know we're live streaming to everyone, but I'm going to use this moment anyways. Like, we're not editing this later. Like, I'm going to use this to, like, shoot my shot, I guess. Well, you know, it is coming from Harvey Weinstein. I mean, yeah, and that's the other thing, right? You, you do wonder, like, was was that the note where it was like, uh, she's got at least, like, you know, sure bra. We do get full topless from the other character. Yeah, Daisy McCracken's her real name. <laughs> So I didn't know who she was. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen this person in anything. So I was just like looking up like her IMDb. Turns out like she was involved in a very crazy kidnapping story in 2017. Oh, wow. Where she and her friend were like at a house in Hollywood and like people busted in, like put bags over their heads, knocked the guy out and then took her around to like multiple ATMs to take out money. Wow. <laughs> the people were eventually caught and she's safe and like everyone, you know, but like, I was like, well, that was unexpected. Well, I'm glad Daisy McCracken is okay. But yeah, she gets topless with uh, Jim, the Luke Kirby character, who's also yeah. aggressively sexual, but it works apparently in this case. Well, because isn't that the way it is, right? She talks all tough, but you know, she see. I mean, like it's, I feel like I almost actually quoted the movie without realizing that I was quoting it. Like, I feel like that's the, what he's, the guy says. Um, I still need to just figure out one thing. So Freddie Buster Rhymes says, you're going to investigate. It's going to be authentic, but secretly he's planted a ton of stuff. Yes. To make it all dramatic. Right. Again, the whole point is it's Halloween night and they're supposed to stay the entire night. Like, if this had gone well, what was what do you think his plan was for this show? He creates a ton of fake like evidence that like Michael was like chained to like his like high chair and all this weird like you know kind of typical like serial killer origins. I mean, honestly, Rob Zombie didn't go this cliche. He did kind of take the ball and run with it, though, this idea. Right. Sometimes there are like a few things where you wonder like with it, whether it's just because they're playing in the same sandbox or if they are slightly kind of intentional nods, you know, here and there. So I guess it was going to be like they're going to get through the night and it was going to be dawn. And there was that was it. The reason why I'm, I'm lingering on this and pu trying to puzzle it out is it, to me, this is another thing where it's like you realize that this whole movie, they never had a solid handle on their approach. No. You know, take Willy Wonka, right? Like Charlie and Chocolate Factory. <laughs> like, you understand what's supposed to happen. Like, you get a golden ticket. You know what's going to happen. Like, you're going to be surprised. But, like, you get, like, when there's contests in movies or, like, the plot. Like, this is all just, like, it's the internet. That's it. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's just like, oh, isn't it going to be fun to put these young people in this house and then 
by Busta Rhymes. I'm, I'm going to actually dress up like Michael at one point so that we can have a ha-ha scene where the real Michael and him face off, but Busta thinks he's the cameraman dressing as Michael and is all, you know, dressing him down. Yeah, the cameraman that's been gone for hours and he suddenly thinks he's, like, super on top of his job. Like, it's like, wouldn't you have noticed that, like, he went in to set up a camera, was literally talking to Tyra Banks. yeah. <laughs> stops and then is never seen again you seem to be a three-person crew and one of your crew disappears feel like that would have been bigger deal yeah i mean to answer your question i just think that the, the answer is in how this was made you know it started off as a sort of pitch that then got forced into being a halloween film and yeah they didn't even think about like okay so what does this all mean like so is at the end of the night is Buster Rhymes going to pull off his Michael Myers mask and everybody's going to go, ha, 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 oh, right. that was hilarious. And then what? They're going to, what's the next episode going to be? I don't fucking right. know. Like, they've already, like, revealed that this is all fake. Right. And at one point, Busta has this whole, like, you know, people don't really want reality from their reality TV, you know. The, that's the another thing about this movie that's painful is that it's kind of trying to say something. Yes, 100%. Oh, what you're trying to say is so trite and like yeah. this is not the place to say it right. and this is poorly done, poorly thought through. So like you just look like a fucking asshole like when you're trying to say this is meaningful. I think there's some people that like they hear that like oh, horror is a great genre for like social commentary. But usually the best examples of that are ones where the, the commentary is kind of noticed retroactively. Yeah. It's something that's in the air. You know, it's like, it's the classic, like, Night of Living Dead. Like, you know, George Romero, a guy that knows about intentional social commentary, because he would do that later. But, like, with Night of Living Dead, like, he even says, like, we barely could pull the budget together. So, like, all that kind of got read into, you know. John Carpenter, of course, is classic with his responses to this stuff, like yeah, when people yeah. try and put all of that. But that's when it works and when it's successful. Yeah. When you just have a character monologue in the middle of your movie, basically being like, here's the thesis statement. As you can see, <laughs> you know, like, like, did you say that, like, this takes place one year after he murders Laurie? Yes. Okay. See, I missed that. So that means Michael was just in his little, like, subterranean, like, hideout while Busta Rhymes was planting all this evidence. He's been munching on rats. There's a bunch that's of like alive. half. Yeah. The one rat that's somehow still alive, even though its entire guts have been eaten. It's like 75% of it was gone. <laughs> like, Look, man, we've seen Michael do some pretty weird things for a year, like in Halloween five, when he lives with the homeless man in his right. shack and then wakes up on Halloween a year later. I mean, this is just standard Michael Myers shit. Yeah. I guess, you know, what's interesting though is i didn't recognize so i think one thing is i'm more familiar with like an early draft of the script because i did read one like years ago back when like you know drew's scriptorama was like always oh, updated yeah. and you could read production that. drafts and stuff and in, in in those drafts that was like he kills Lori, steals the corvette or camaro drives back finds everyone here and starts killing right which then at least made sense that like he wasn't there when, like, clearly all of this stuff was being done to his house. It's weird that, like, 
to think that like this they they made that weird that jump so while they were planting all these fake dead bodies in the house and everything michael was just down in like the sub sub basement chilling apparently eating some rats i just think he doesn't get activated until halloween that has to be it right it's like halloween it's on he's activated every every other day no christmas no right april fools no he's not killing it's only on Halloween. Because that would make sense then. There has not been a Halloween movie where he's not at least killing around Halloween. I mean, I think the Rob Zombie movies, he kills a few days before. Yeah, Halloween ends. There's more lead up. But even then, it's like, it's mostly off screen stuff. Or like the idea that the every now and then, you know, grabbing a vagrant and like <laughs> murdering him. But like, that's the other thing that felt weird about the opening scene. I assumed that it, this that was days before Halloween because I'm thinking this is all one you know the same year. So like the idea that it just makes less sense now. It's that's even funnier. Like it's it's like sometimes when we do these kinds of things, like movies start making more sense, uh-huh. and you're like, oh okay, I'm starting to see something that I didn't see. Like this one's like falling like falling apart even more. It's like a very poorly made cold cut sandwich that can't stay together. No. Let's just talk through like the kills and stuff like because I mean talking about this movie in terms of plot is Well, just... we did. We already did that. They they go in the house. Yes. You know, I just have to say that aesthetically I think this movie looks terrible. I mean, yes. especially because you know, there's a lot of cutting to their cameras which are really bad digital cameras of the time. Yeah. And so the images are terrible looking. You know, another way this movie would have been improved by being made later. You know, I don't know how much improved, but at least now consumer cameras actually look decent. So you're not getting this awful, bad camera footage spliced in. At one point, they even have the main character trying to contact Decker and they do the Blair Witch shot with the lighting from underneath. You know, like they literally do that shot at one point. It's so weird that like that's her go-to like she goes up to talk into like a mounted camera again it it mimics that shot but it's like you're just like hoping that he's watching right and i guess did that have no audio i can't remember could could he hear it yes he can hear apparently there's some sort of microphone system also which they don't address but uh yeah he apparently can hear, and then so he texts her, you know, Michael's on the stairs, he's coming up the stairs, and she's, it's just the end of the movie when she's running around the house, you know, the final girls running right. around. Oh my gosh, actually, hold on, we missed the biggest character thing. Come on, we got some karate in this movie. Well, Busta's a big fan of, uh, what's the karate star he likes? I can't remember, like, the name, but like, so, in the best... And worst planted payoff you've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> we get a shot of him in his motel room watching like some kind of Bruce Lee, Sonny Chiba, like, you know, 70s. He he name checks exactly who it is, but I can't yeah, remember. I like, don't remember either. Which then that's the scene where Sarah comes to the door to try and quit, which I think it's funny that she knows exactly which motel room he's in. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. But the point is. Lest you think that is just some like, oh, quirky little scene. Oh, no, 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 no. That's his character. 
and it's going to come back. In, I think, the most controversial thing that ever happens in the whole Halloween franchise, I would say. Anyone who complains about what Corey does to a weakened Michael in Halloween Ends better have at least watched (laughs) Halloween Resurrection. And if they tell me with a straight face that what Corey does stealing the mask is worse than this, they're lying. It's just not possible. I refuse to believe that. But anyways, I just, yes. Now we've laid out all the characters in their one trait. So yeah, let's just run through the deaths. Well, we can just go in order quick because it's pretty easy. Like Sure, let's do it. The American Pie guy, the lecherous guy that like tries to get Katie Sackhoff to take off her shirt is grabbed through a mirror? Yes. Why? I don't know. He's like talking to a mirror and then smash hands come through and like pull him in. <laughs> I love that Michael's on the other side of it going like, I'm going to get him. <laughs> yeah. Like not like not the stealthy like walk around the corner and like sneak up behind him in the mirror, but like literally smash through like a solid wall. Right. Through the mirror. Through the mirror. That's like a Freddy Krueger thing. Like yeah. in a dream, like the wa- you touch the mirror and suddenly it's liquid and then he grabs, you know, but like, uh, yeah, that's his death. They kill uh, Thomas Ian Nichols pretty quick into getting in the house. And then it feels like we get the longest gap in the time of them being in the house. Well, because we're setting up also the party with the teenagers yeah. where... Deckard's gonna go to this party and then just go into like the dad's office or whatever and use his next gen (laughs) computer that's got like a widescreen TV against the wall and knows exactly how to use it like this house he's never been to he's a freshman at like a seniors party and he just sneaks off and like yeah and just clicks on like recognizes oh that thing that looks like a flat screen tv is actually the computer monitor and i'm gonna sit at this desk and like okay i guess he's that good of a hacker yeah and so though throughout the course of the movie more and more teenagers are going to leave the party to come in and watch this stupid internet show that he's involved in which no way not a chance there's nothing that interesting going on like i know they are reacting to kills but like Especially the first ones, like, the first ones that, like, the party sees, you're not even getting, like, mounted angles from, like, the other camera setup because these are downstairs. So, like, you should see nothing other than Michael just kind of looming over you. Yeah. And yet they're still reacting like, or like, oh, that looks fake. It's like you didn't see anything. But, yeah, so the two in the basement after they've been, you know, fooling around and had fake bodies uh, dropped on them. Out of like a breakaway brick wall? Or yeah. like, it was like a, it was like Cascavel Monteado. Like, I was like, what's going on in here? Yeah, the rocker character immediately recognizes that these are fake. Yeah, they were made in Taiwan or something like that. And But so then he like wanders off and then she gets killed. Yeah, why does he wander off? I don't remember that. Like, because they're in the normal basement and then he finds like the sewer lid right and he wanders off gets something lifts that but like is that where the bodies fall out or is it in the normal basement it's down there because they go down there to make out because then when they're down there she's like there's no cameras in here even though they're all wearing cameras they're all yes so yeah that's why they're down there in that like basement sub basement or whatever you want to call it sewer right and that's 
where like Michael's actual like bunk is basically. No, that's like even like it's down there, but then they find like a hallway down there. It's like the neighbor's <laughs> basement. It's like barbarian. Barbarian is what's happening in this. Like it's like just the basement just keeps going. Like yeah, because again, you would think in a very confined again suburban house, the geography shouldn't be all that tricky. You have very limited amounts of space, and again, could be used well. Not in this case. It's just like, knock the wall down. Do you even remember what happens to her? Because I remember what happens to him. Yeah, oh, I remember exactly what happens to her. Okay, what happens to her? There's like jail bars. She gets like pushed up against them and it has a convenient spike, just like in Halloween 6, where you're like, wait, why is that? Right, 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 yes. First of all, why are there jail bars down here? (laughs) Second, yeah, and then yeah, he like pushes her against it. I think he then stabs her as well. Right. She just gets backed into a corner, more or less. And then the rocker guy shows up and he gets his head crushed by Michael to the point where his eyes are bleeding. That's later, that's upstairs. So he really abandons her because he joins the rest of them upstairs that's right yes and he confronts busta rhymes and stuff and like this is all fake actually when they first see busta rhymes in the costume they're freaking out and he swoops in to save the day he like hits him on the head right yeah in the original script he actually kills freddie there and then as he realizes what's been done, real Michael comes in and kills him. But obviously that, you know, doesn't happen here. And that's where we get Busta's big, people don't want reality, people want yada, 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 you know. And so now they, like, he tries to get them all to agree that it's fake. And then they are weirdly, like, morally against this. Like, all of them. What did they think was going to happen? Right. They're totally fine with, like, walking around this house thinking nothing's going to happen. Because why would anything? But the minute they say, like, let's put on, like, a show. And you guys don't have to do anything different. Like, just know that, like, I'm going to be in the background stalking around or whatever. Like, if we knew anything about these people, if there was any character to them beyond that one trait, maybe it would make sense. But I don't understand, like, why they're all they're kind of all uniformly against this until and then they turn again. It's then it's suddenly it's like, well, all right, we're here. Well, cause, yeah, because he's like, we're going to make a lot of money or whatever. And they're like, oh, I could use that money. Right. But they were already uh, promised money. It's just this thing with this movie where they just have to set up these flimsy, like, yeah. conflicts. Like, if you took part in this, I mean, forget about how much we know about reality television and how scripted it is and everything now. Yeah. Even then, in 2002, if some guy was like hey i'm gonna give you all cameras put you in the michael myers house and see what happens right the first thing i'd think would be probably they're gonna haunted house us and shit's gonna pop yeah, out this is a setup and it's a setup because why would we be doing this otherwise the company's called dangertainment like right. yeah this isn't like uh, 2020 reports where you'd be like, okay, well, I guess maybe like this is li- no dangertainment's gonna say like this is, yeah, this is a setup. And there's no point in this movie where like someone is trying to escape Michael that I ha- I'm not like the door is right there. I don't care that they say it's locked. Right. The boards <laughs> on those windows are flimsy. You can. Yes. It's a suburban house. You can get out of this. Buster Rhymes is getting in and out of this house right. to sneak around. There's a way out. Yes. And again, if you're going to ever try and build tension, you need to convince me that this house is a trap. Yeah. 
you can't get around how misguided that just basic premise is. So wait, so who's next then? Is it the guy getting his head crushed? It's the best one. Yeah, he well, yeah, he gets his head crushed. It's it's like a Jason kill because it's or or um Brady from um part four. But the one that's the most memorable, Katie Sackhoff. She's upstairs smoking a comically large bong that I'm like, when did you bring that in? Yeah. And they just cut to that. Like suddenly her and um, the chef guy are getting like really high. But like Michael pops out and like they've just had the conversation about, you know, it all being fake or whatever. The real Michael pops out on the top of the stairs and cuts off her head cleanly with one blow of his butcher knife and her head comes rolling down the stairs full fake katie sackoff head and everything yeah it's the only kill in the whole movie that i'm like well well that was something i yeah it's (laughs) something i i don't know how it happened i don't understand it (laughs) like nope it's a butcher knife it's pretty funny and it's also one of the moments where and we haven't mentioned this that like rick rosenthal opts to like do very weird moments of slow motion it's not like matrix or like something where it's like kind of a the centerpiece of like a, a scene it's like just motions like just one thing suddenly it's like ah that's in slow motion just another choice that is being made and i don't know what the point is. Well, and just a quick mention, since we are bringing up Rick Rosenthal, he does have a cameo in the, yeah. this movie as one of their college professors. Yes. Um, giving a lecture, uh, a very pointed, uh, meaningful lecture at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, but young or one of was just like, that's one of my favorite things in movies because it's like, whatever the lecture is obviously has to be so basic that like the audience gets it. But then you got to go like, so this isn't the first day. Why are we so deep in the semester and we're only covering like what sounds like the <laughs> intro to the syllabus? Like <laughs> psychology is. Yep. <laughs> it's like, wow, we, we've done two months of this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, fun little fact. His name is Dr. Mixer, which is the character from um, the drunk doctor from part two that that ah. sews up uh, uh, Lori, who's like, yeah, I just came from the Halloween the party. party. I think he's drunk. And he's just like, get me coffee. <laughs> yeah. Let me no other doctor. Really? <laughs> the guy that is just came from the country club sloshed is the guy that you want, like helping the trauma victim. Yeah. <laughs> that was a. Fast and loose rules. But yeah, anyways, for whatever reason, um, he, he's named Dr. Mixer. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that does it for the main deaths, right? Well, we got the chef, which is, of course, oh, right. a kitchen fight. And he just tries to go at Michael with his knives. and It's like a Bob death from part one. He gets pinned to the wall. He gets pinned to the door and then the Michael, door. like, opens the door. That's a slightly nice touch. One weird shot, though, is you do see the knife come through the wall and it comes out clean and then yes. later it starts dripping and i'm right like, they're oh. like oh we should have put some blood on that shot and so yeah you get you go back to that shot right. and then you see the blood dripping from it it's like cut the one where you see it come through and then right. do the blood like what this movie is inept it's yeah inept in many ways this isn't one of those things where like oh we had one shot to get it right we messed up but we need the shot and you know like there are movies where you can forgive that kind of stuff but like again this had resources but yeah so i think that's it and then we are left with sarah 
technically Deckard just as like a text and we keep cutting back to him. Everyone, of course, in all these movies thinks that like Deckard is the one, even at the party, Deckard is like the one who's like, no, this is real. The trouble is real. Yeah. No one else believes it. And he tries to call the cops. The cops don't believe it. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm thinking, yes, I know four, five, and six have been like, you know, retconned out. But like, my thought is if you're the Haddonfield police and it's Halloween and you get a call and says there's trouble at the Myers house, maybe go check it out. Yeah. <laughs> Swing on by. I mean, or maybe just station people there all night because chances are there's going to be like stuff happening. Just like, even if it's just pranksters, right? Like, because it's real egg on your face. Like, when you go, like, oh, like when you have to explain later, like, so, you know, all those people that got murdered, you got the call like three hours before you responded. Uh, thought it was a joke. You know, there's a live stream of like it actually happening. Yeah, I still <laughs> thought it was a joke. Like, I don't know. Just kind of seems like one of those situations where you might be a little more on top of it. But then the movie would be over too soon and we wouldn't get this thrilling climax that oh, takes yeah. place in the garage. I mean, like, I don't have much to say about the chase around the house. I mean, she ends up on the roof at one point and then yeah. it's tedious. It's tedious. The only thing about the chase in the house, I give them a pat on the back for like really trying to say like, this is a tense thing. Like he's on the stairs. I'm like, well, if I turn my head, I see the stairs. Yeah. Although there is one, I think it's around here. We get like character shift from Freddy from Buster Rhymes, who suddenly he's like in hero mode, right? I don't remember at what point it happens, but there is one shot that I like, which is when it's him and Sarah talking and like one shifts a little bit and you see Michael standing behind them. He's like perfectly blocked. That was like the one moment where I'm like, you got it. He's silently standing there, right there. You got it. But then he starts like making Kung Fu noises. And, yes. And you're just like, oh no. But yeah, so there's the initial thing where Michael stabs him in the shoulder. And again, in the original version, this is where he is dead. Buster Rhymes dies here. That will change. And then, yeah, we get to the detached garage, I guess. She basically runs into the garage. Well, she runs into the tunnels and then finds an exit leading to the garage. Oh, yeah, because she has to find the redhead's, like, body, too. Yeah, it's the whole, you know, we're running into all the different bodies and all that, that cliche. She ends up in the garage, sees tire banks on the ceiling, slips in the blood, and then Michael arrives and they fight and there's like these electrical wires hanging everywhere because you know it's a nerve center of this reality show yeah the it's the production studio or the yeah where all the bay of tvs are supposed to be and all that stuff like right she's got a chainsaw i love that like the garage was still stocked. All right, yeah. She pops out of this like cabinet or something with a chainsaw running, like as right. if you wouldn't have heard it start or whatever. <laughs> and also, unless Dangertainment stocked this, like that chainsaw isn't running. That's no. a 1960s. <laughs> that chainsaw didn't exist. So just just throwing that out there. That hey, Buster Rhymes, you really production design like <laughs> like crazy. Or maybe you thought you needed a chainsaw. I don't know. She still loses. To a knife. Well, the chainsaw stops running. Oh, well, you know. The important part here is that Busta Rhymes shows up. He's not dead. Yeah, the garage is on fire now. 
Yeah, because of the wires start like an electrical fire. The gas. I think there's gas on the ground or whatever. Yes. Yeah, but the point is, like it. Yes, he follows Michael Myers' suit and he bursts through a wall, Kool Aid Man style, like and says, "Trick or treat, motherfucker!" Right? Is uh, that where he says? Yeah, it? that's where it is. Because I thought this was when it was Happy Halloween, motherfucker. But that actually yeah. later, because you get your cake and eat it too in this movie. <laughs> like we don't, we can't just land on one. Yeah. So, like, if you know anything about the Halloween franchise, you know about this. This was just the ruinous thing that basically. Busta Rhymes gets to kill Michael Myers with karate. It's worse than just karate, though, because it's like because he also has like that broomstick or whatever, and he like breaks it in half. It's embarrassing for everyone. It's embarrassing for the Halloween legacy. Now, do you have any insight as to why this was done? I do. So first of all, like I almost wish it had just been the karate, but lest we forget that he shocks michael's nuts that's the death blow he like rips like a cord out of the back of a monitor and like it's still a live wire and he very clearly goes straight to the nuts and shocks michael okay so basically freddie died right then they did uh test screenings ah yes of course and busta tested high in the audience favorability and rick rosenthal is actually a uh, big fan of test audiences like as a director oh interesting now granted he spent most of his career working on tv so i don't know if maybe he's been more like inert like with like the idea of like maybe a little bit more back and forth with an audience while you're trying to build the show yeah as opposed to most like directors and stuff that usually bristle at like the idea of having to take into account what these test audiences show or say he was all for it so they do a series of reshoots almost a year after they had wrapped initial production. Oh, wow. Because they filmed in like 2001 and the movie doesn't come out till summer 2002. And this is not, you know, a movie where you're like, oh, OK, I understand like a long post-production. <laughs> like, so they filmed three endings and they film them completely because then Rick Rosenthal wanted to do it like clue style and like send them randomly. And they're all just like varying degrees of dumb like it's all but it's all basically the same thing at every turn freddy is the hero this is where busta is also because he's the star of the notes from the test audience busta now gets to like improvise dialogue because you'll notice that like in his first like scenes when they're doing like the little video like auditions like yeah he's busta rhymes but it like he feels more like a character Right. By the time we get to this stuff at the end, it's Buster Rhymes the personality. This is chicken fried motherfucker. This is baggy ass overalls. This is all of that stuff. Because the only thing that got good marks <laughs> was him. Yeah. So this was all test audiences. Basically said more Busta. And Rick Rosenthal was like, all for it. And what everyone said, even the writer, even the highfalutin writer who's like, I'm like like Orson Welles and like, you know, all that stuff. Even he's like, Buster Rhymes was like super fun to be around. He was charismatic. Like I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's a lot of fun. In some in one respect, it's like when you're in the midst of making something, maybe you could kind of get like caught up in like this might work. Yeah. I don't know if we said this earlier, but like the whole reason why Buster Rhymes was cast was because LL Cool J in H2O was like a breakout 
star. They basically wanted him to initially reprise the role, which I would have loved the the hoops they would have jumped through to get him from like California to have. Now he's a reality guy. Uh, But he was too expensive (laughs) because basically it had come out and then like Deep Blue Sea and like, you know, basically he became a movie star. Sort of. In the time being. Well, for like the $13 million budget or whatever it was they had, which is again, high for a movie like this, but Basically, they said, okay, like Bob and Harvey basically said, so the, the, the hip hop guy worked, so we need another one of them. That's the hand they were dealt. And again, I don't know if the character would have ever worked for me. If you had left him as like the media snake oil pitch man kind of guy and let him meet his fate in the house, probably been okay. Yeah. Because Buster Rhymes isn't bad. I mean, like he's no. fine. That kind of casting kind of stunt casting of like it always bothers me in horror movies because i think in horror movies more specifically like i need to feel like all bets are off you know like you can put familiar faces in them but like when it's like that i don't know like action movies that works great like when you get these kind of non-actors to be in i'm like i i'm fine with it there so but then of course it's like a version of the old script comes out or Busta was looking for his like star moment because suddenly he becomes the moral high ground then too. After being like the sleazy, like we all got to put on a show and reality, you know, is fake. Yeah, whatever. Like he yells at the press outside because Michael Myers isn't a sound bite. That, yeah, that that's one of those ones where they talk about like difference between what was written was like the idea of like the the metaphor of like the great white shark was like originally written i not for that character or whatever but then he's the one who turns it into a, you know the guy in the baggy ass overalls or whatever and it's like really like he just murdered a bunch of people and you're kind of responsible like i know <laughs> you didn't think this was gonna happen but like you know he was never apprehended <laughs> So, like, you had to, like, kind of think that there was, like, this outside chance, like, right? Like, but, um, oh, you know what? Insult to injury, like, again, he comes in, saves Sarah, and he literally carries her out over his shoulder. Like, she does nothing. She gets trapped under, like, a a, a shelf. So, yeah, we get this, like, dumb stinger scene at the end where the body's brought into a morgue and the morgue attendant who's a woman unzips it and the eye opens and that's it. I mean, I have nothing to say. This is just like standard yeah. uh, stinger ending for horror movie. The ending of this movie, like the, the, this um, when, when Buster Rhymes is, you know, monologuing to the press and then he, of course he like, what, what, what does he say when he's like, Oh, what does it feel like? Feel this or what, what? I don't know. And you're like, and it, like he like assaults like a reporter. Well, yeah, he just grabs the camera and we cut to black or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I should note that um, he's he's got his arm in a, in a in a sling because he got stabbed earlier, but um, it's on the it's the wrong arm from what <laughs> yeah. he got stabbed, which is again to show you that they are shooting this like a year later and clearly not paying attention. If it wasn't for the reshoots. This scene outside of the house where, like, you know, Sarah is being treated would have been her and Deckard meeting. That was going to happen. That's what the whole thing was building up to. Sure, yeah. But because of the reshoots, there was no room for Deckard. So that's why Deckard ends up with the text saying, like, I see you or you're alive on TV. Yeah. And that's it. Like, so, the you know, again, these characters that, like, (laughs) this relationship... (laughs) 
they've never met. They don't meet. And the reason they don't is because Busta needed a little bit more screen time. So, I mean, a movie that was already going to be bad was only just made a million times worse by... 100%. These notes that said, give it all to Busta. I mean, yeah, like you would presume that she would have had more agency. She would have been the one to kill Michael, which wouldn't have been great, but at least it wouldn't have been this ridiculousness i mean at this point it's a why not just kill her off in the garage and have like busta then just ride it out well i mean i guess because it makes him more heroic that he saves her too but like it's such a weird turn and like and i should note also there was something in the the early draft uh, that i had read the katie sackoff character basically sarah was going to get killed in the middle of the movie you're supposed to think she's the final girl because she's got all of the tropes and she's boring you know she gets killed, and it turns out that Katie Sackhoff would take over that character. I would have liked that better. In a way, that almost makes the Sarah character kind of make sense, is that, like, in her initial construction, she was a fake-out. You know, she's your, your your Janet Lee, right? Like, you're expecting to see the whole movie through with her, but, like, she ends up dying. But that, you know, doesn't happen. None of these things that you're describing really fix anything no. in this movie. Like, I mean, it's still a bad movie, no matter what. Right. Just, we can now phase into the why does this fail conversation. This movie, I mean, it did clear its budget and make a little money, but it was so catastrophically poorly received that they had to pivot entirely. They gave the franchise to Rob Zombie. He does like a basically a reboot, does his own thing. So this whole continuity is just gone with this yes. movie. Before they gave it to Rob Zombie, though, they did actively develop some treatments um and one script uh that fall was a direct sequel to this one written by a guy named tim daly who his only credit up to that point was he wrote the first uh hellraiser movie that went direct to video the one that was like he's also an actor a different guy oh different guy okay yeah not the guy from wings okay <laughs> that would be pretty, that would be hilarious though hey i mean i've heard of crazier things oh I mean. sure yeah yeah and truth be told h25 it would have been on the 25th anniversary while wouldn't have been good there was some interesting stuff to the premise which would have picked up with uh dangertainment stuff oh jesus yeah it would be a year later and in the intervening year freddie has decided to make a documentary about michael myers and amazing that it's only going to be one year later because this seems would have been remarkably fast and all of the proceeds were going to go to like a, a haddonfield victims fund and it was gonna be like this thing that was supposed to understand michael and like pay tribute to the victims yada michael was supposed to be completely dead to the point that I, um this like female uh, detective or FBI agent was to be like, look, I know he's dead and it's going to open like an urn and dump out his ashes. Like I saw, turns out he was actually um, in Chicago in a secret FBI basement lab uh-huh. where they were studying him. And again, this is a little egg on Freddie's face, but like he's holding the premiere of his documentary in Haddonfield in their theater on Halloween. Uh-huh. Tommy Doyle was going to be there. This was actually, they were going to reincorporate elements from four, five and six Sheriff Brackett was going to be there and Michael was going to show up and kill people at this theater. Freddie was going to die. Sarah was going to die. Basically, Jodie Foster from Silence of the Lambs was going to be the new, like, lead. I mean, it sounds better than this movie. I'll say that much. Yeah. 
sadly we don't exist in that world um with h25 i mean you know just to bring it back to the why of this fail i just think it's just absolutely ill-conceived from page one it's just yep. everything about it is wrong-headed the fact that they ended up with this ridiculous mess in the end isn't surprising because they started with a bad idea and they just kept rolling that ball down the hill until more yeah. and more bad ideas got attached to it to the ultimate bad idea of Buster Rhymes trick-or-treat motherfucker karate kicking Michael Myers to his death and making the kung fu noises like again yes. that it has to be underlined it's like if you yeah. think there's any chance of dignity in that scene it's, <laughs> it's gone like when he's doing that which you don't need to do to do those moves just just so we know all right so yeah we don't need to belabor this any longer is there anything else you have to say about how Halloween Resurrection before we kill it again. Oh, God. Um, I've seen this one the least of any of them. When you asked if I would do it, like, I was like, you know, okay, I saw it in the theater. I own a DVD copy of it that I bought when a, a Hollywood video was going out of business. So it's still got the Hollywood sticker on it. And Maybe I've watched it once. If this isn't only my second full viewing, it's no more than three in a franchise that like I love even the worst elements of it. So how little I've seen this one is a testament to just my reaction to it. So, but I had hoped, I had hoped that like I was going to get something out. I, I, I was like, maybe it's not as bad last year when Halloween ends came out and people were like really in the full backlash. Like I think like screen rant or something like that. They did a, like an article that was like, Top 10 reasons why Halloween Resurrection deserves more respect. And I'm like, we don't need to do this. We don't. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, you can not like Halloween ends. That's fine. You just, you don't need to, like, prop this one up. No. So I'm just shocked because it's like, I really didn't find anything. Nothing. Like, it's, it's just bad. My final thought is it is just bad. I mean, I think you pretty much uh, summed it up perfectly. Yeah, I mean, it remains my least favorite of the franchise, possibly of all uh, horror franchises, sequels. I do watch it almost every year because we do the full marathon, and I always want to skip it but jen will be like mm, i don't know if you can skip it you kind of have to watch it she's being like hey dr frankenstein enjoy this monster you've made <laughs> well, the one good thing that's come out of doing a podcast about this movie is now i'm going to try to at least say look i did a podcast about it can we just not watch this one Right. In the series, you know, and I, I'm a person who will watch six every year. Right. The Rob Zombie movies, which I have a lot of problems with. Yes. But this is the one that I would happily skip. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, this story is so terrible, but like, so is Halloween six, but somehow Halloween six moves at a better clip. They're not, they're basically the same length. It shines a light on like the fact that that incoherent mess of, of a movie that was like two movies, Halloween six, something that arguably completely misunderstands Michael Myers as a character because he makes him like a product of either witches or mad science still is more entertaining. <laughs> the thing about Halloween six is at least the batshit ideas that it has 
are kind of interesting taken on their own. Yeah. What this does, I just don't find interesting at all. Like, right. I, like I don't find anything about where this movie goes to be interesting. Yeah. I right. find it actively deterrent, you yes. know, and especially once you get into the, the reality TV stuff and the camera footage is all terrible and it's just, ugh. it's just nothing about it. Whereas part six, there's, some pleasures to be had yeah. in the utter wrongheadedness of it and the utter ridiculous. This is just wrongheaded and boring. That's the ultimate crime. If you're going to be bad, at least be bad with style. Swing big for something really crazy. Right. Okay, well, uh, you know, I'm going to go uh, crawl into the sub-basement here in my house that leads to the catacombs and chow down on some rats that are still alive and karate kick Michael Myers into a, an electrical fire. Don't forget, you could nail uh, nails into the doll's eyes that I guess Michael did. Oh, right, yeah, we forgot about that. How did he do that? <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon. (laughs) 